I would like for you to be seated and take your Bibles, if you would. We have been, the last several weeks, in the book of Acts. I felt no need to detour from that series of messages. And if you will permit me this morning, we will lift our text right from the context of where we have been for several weeks. The book of Acts, chapter 1, and we'll begin reading with verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do, that's the miracle, and to teach, that's the message. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Would you look closely with me at verse number three? To whom also he, Jesus, showed himself, shout the next word. Oh, you whispered it, shouted on this day. After his passion by many infallible proofs. If you will permit me, I would like to speak to you this morning on the subject. After his passion, he showed himself alive. Uh, it is, of course, Luke's premise in the book of Acts uh, to no longer allow us to be mere spectators of Jesus nor fans of the message. Uh, it is Luke's premise that uh, if God in Christ put a face on himself in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then it would be Luke's premise to allow you and I in the book of Acts to put a face on Jesus. If it was truly God in Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then it must of necessity become Christ in us, the hope of glory in the book of Acts. I want to share with you today that many, many things happened after his passion. Uh, certainly, there is a fixation in these hours on Mel Gibson's portrayal, prophetic portrayal, powerful portrayal of the passion of Christ. But I need you to understand today that there was a whole lot more that happened after his passion. After his passion, he gave gifts to men. After his passion, he was seen alive. <laughs> oh my God, I don't know how you sit there and stare at me as if that had no meaning. That after they buried him in the borrowed tomb of Joseph, after he showed himself alive. I hurry quickly to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and we'll begin with verse 7. Hear the Apostle Paul now speaking. It is the same Paul who was Saul of Tarsus. 
I'm, please don't begin reading it. It was the same Paul who was a persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ. It is this same Paul that spent his time as Saul of Tarsus going from city to city and mutilating and torturing and murdering those who would stand against Rome in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It is this same Saul of Tarsus who on his way to persecute the church found himself on a road to Damascus. And your Bible said that while he was riding on his horse, a light suddenly shined out of heaven, drove him off of his horse and struck him with blindness. It was God who had apprehended him. It was God who would then resurrect him by a power unknown to most and allow him to write two-thirds of this New Testament. It was this Paul who was Saul of Tarsus, who was shipwrecked, who was stoned, who was snake-bitten and left for dead. It is this Paul that learned something about resurrection power. And so he begins to speak to us now in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. But what things were gained to me, my pedigree, my education, my socioeconomic status, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Would to God we had a few Christians like that today. Verse 8, yet doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, to whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Jesus Christ I will remind you that salvation is not of works lest any of us should boast but rather it is by grace and through faith through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship. I got to just stop just a moment. I have to make you understand today that there is more to resurrection day than looking back. I, I have to convince you that there is something more than a bloody cross. There is something more than a Via Della Rosa. There is something more than the kicking and the prodding through the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem. There, there is something more than him hanging in that awful sag of death. There is something more than wrapping him in grave clothes and placing him in a borrowed tomb. There is something more than a gravestone being rolled in front and there's something more than on the third day the stone got rolled away and an angel said Mary go and tell the son of God is risen hallelujah Jesus is alive and well. Here in the New Testament your Bible says that after his passion he showed himself alive. He showed himself alive so that you and I would be convinced today that there is more than 
retrospect to the resurrection. You didn't hear what I said. I'm telling you today, there is more than a looking back over your shoulder. There is more than a gazing back through history. There is more than retrospect to the resurrection. I've stood in this pulpit today to make this announcement. There is power. There is power. There is wonder working right now, every day, power in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here it is. That I may know him. Oh, there are many naming his name today. They, uh, they say they know him, but uh, how many really know the power of his resurrection? I'm about to mess you up right now. And the fellowship of his sufferings be made conformable unto his death. Watch verse 11. If by any means I, would you shout that word I? Would you circle it in your Bible and shout it again I? That me, myself and I, little old me on the 14th row, little old me born on the back side of the wrong side of the tracks on the wrong day, on the 13th of January, I was born on the wrong side of the tracks. We were raised so far back in the woods that June bugs didn't show up till August and we had to pipe in sunshine. But I'm here to tell you today when I find an eye in the Bible, I'm just convinced it's talking about me. Some of us were raised too poor to pay attention but that doesn't change the I from meaning me just touch somebody and tell them the I really is talking about me I'm not ready to read you the next words but I've got to hurry would you shout I would you shout I would you shout that means me that I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead you didn't understand what I just said to you I'm talking about a power so great that it reaches into dead men's caskets and where there's nothing but dust makes a body come back together again. I'm talking about a power that it doesn't matter if you were buried at sea and you were two miles under that floating surface of the ocean blue in the Pacific. It doesn't matter. There's power enough in this resurrection to reach into the deepest leagues of the sea and cause a body that had been there for a hundred years to come sinew to sinew and bone to bone and flesh to flesh. It doesn't matter if they bury you have to burst out a grave place for you like they do for us in eastern Kentucky where they have to put dynamite in and blast out a place in the rock and then bury you six feet under the rock in a sealed casket and then they put another one over top of that one and then they put stone over top of that ain't no grave gonna hold my body down you don't understand what I'm talking to you about today we're always talking about right now and how we can get through blue Mondays and sad Tuesdays I'm here to tell you when hell had done its worst to the best that heaven had to offer God kicked the end out of the tomb rolled the stone away and there's power for you in his resurrection shout yes now uh, we have lost uh, the meaning of the gospel we seem to have lost our way and not long ago I had the opportunity 
after the fall and the collapse of the Twin Towers, I, I, I had the distinct privilege of being one of the only preachers, if not the only preacher, ever allowed all the way down to the very bottom of ground zero. There were 3,000 souls on a beautiful September morning were ushered into the presence of a holy God. Thought they were just getting up and going to work that day, you understand. Just, just got their coffee and put their creamer in and were headed back to their computer when suddenly something came crashing into the side of that tower. While I was there, in retrospect, I had the opportunity to talk to a young fireman in just about 35 years of age, a strapping, strong New York Italian young man. He began to recount to me his story. You see, he worked at the engine house where engines number 10 and 11 were housed. They were the first to respond to the 911 call on 9-11. He began to recount to me how they rushed inside the tower. 40 men from his company in their uniforms rushed into that tower into the main lobby. At exactly that moment, the second aircraft smashed into the side of the second World Trade Center building. And he said the thrust of the air coming down through the elevator shaft picked those 40 men up and flung them against the wall like they were a piece of ribbon in a noonday breeze. He said it slammed me against the wall and immediately that foyer was filled with black smoke. He said you couldn't see the hand in front of your face. But suddenly he said I saw a light. I didn't know where it was coming from. I didn't know how it had appeared. But I concluded if there was a way out of the darkness the best thing for me to do would be head toward that light. He said I didn't question where the light came from. I didn't question what generated the light. I just knew if I was to get out of darkness I had to head toward the light. But he said I grasped a hold of my flashlight and I began to flash that light around and begin to cut that darkness with the beam of my flashlight. And I shouted out at the top of the lungs if you can see my light follow me. He didn't say if you could see that light. He said if you can see my light just fall in line behind me. He shouted out I can see a light and if you can see my light follow me. He said I ran toward that light shining my flashlight behind me and he said when I got outside there was one other fireman with me and four other men and women six of us escaped and he said at that moment we began running down the street as that building collapsed around us he said 38 of my fellow firemen lost their lives in that lobby but the only thing that saved me and five other souls was I saw light can I help you today somebody's got to get in a pulpit again somebody's got to 
take the light of his word. Somebody that has seen another light can begin to shine this light and say, if you can see my light, just follow me. We've got to get back on track. We've got to find our way back to the gospel. Can somebody say amen? I beg you today, follow my light. Today, America is rolling in luxury, reveling in excess, rollicking in pleasure, revolting in morals, and rotting in sin. Something has to happen deeply in the heart and soul of America. What can you expect in a nation where passions are riderless horses, where lust is exalted to lordship, where Satan is worshipped as a saint, where sin is elevated to sovereignty, and where man is magnified above his maker something has to happen this crisis is acute the danger is imminent and time is running out we've got to once again come back to our moral senses there is hope in this bible but the first thing i've got to do is dismantle a few things i want to share with you first corinthians chapter 15 and i'm going to be reading with verse number 12 now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead but if there is no resurrection of the dead then is Christ not risen and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vanity, and your faith is also vain. Verse 17, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perish if in this life only we have hope in Christ we are of all men most miserable but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept for since by men came death by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. <laughs> There's one thing for sure. You're never getting off this planet alive. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. If you believe that is true, and I believe you do, do you believe you're going to die? Raise your hand. Uh, raise your hand. We do not look for death, but be assured, it looks for us. If you believe that you're going to die, then let me convince you that the same book that says you're going to die, because in Adam all die, 
The same book declares even so in Christ shall all be made alive. I got news for you. You're going to live forever. You are going to live forever. The question is where? There are only two destinations. One's called heaven and one is called hell. Not only is everybody going to live forever somewhere, but let me add this statement. Everybody is going to heaven. I don't know why you're not shouting. Why are you looking at me funny? The book says, even so in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Everybody is going to heaven. Just slap your neighbor a high five and say, good news. You're going to heaven. You say, but Pastor Rod, how can you say that? Well, I can say that because the Bible says that. I don't know why you're looking at me so funny with your halo so crooked on your horns. This Bible says that everybody is going to heaven. I, I know you're having a hard time getting your theological arms around that, so let me help you out. Although everybody is going to heaven, the same Bible prophesies not everybody gets to stay. Your Bible says there's coming a time when the black hairs on the head of damnation are going to grow white with horror. There's coming a time when the highway systems of America will flap in the breath of God like ribbons in a noonday breeze. There's coming a time when the world is dying and the moon is bleeding and the seas are seething under the whiplash of fury to spill their dead in the lap of God. There is coming a time when everyone, black, white, brown, in between, short, tall, skinny, fat, every person that ever broke the womb of a woman is going to be paraded before the reviewing stand of God. Your Bible says every man, every woman, every boy, every girl to give an account of the deeds done in their flesh. And it is in that hour that the same Bible prophesies that he will say to those on his right hand, enter in my good and faithful servant to the joys prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But to those on his left hand, he will declare, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Now, I've got to cut through some things. I suppose it's all right, I'm in good company, for me to share with you that I get just a little bit annoyed at the world that I'm living in. I get just a little bit weary with people always trying to push me and what I believe to the back of the line. If they're not so bold as to push me to the back of the line, then they seek to dilute those things which I believe and adopt them into new vernacular and dress up what I believe to try to make it palatable to a hell-bound generation. Here, here's what I don't like. I, I don't like holidays. Well, let me explain myself. I, now, I don't like holidays because holidays is a substitute for holy days. I, I think if America wants to get back on track, America needs to do away with some holidays and find some holy days. I, 
I, first of all, they, they tried to steal Christmas from us. And in fact, it's not Christmas at all. It's Christ's Mass. And uh, they took away from us when the Savior of the world leaped out of eternity's majesty and into an earthly manger. They, they've tried to take away from us that he was born in a barn because, after all, that's where a lamb ought to be born. They, they've tried to commercialize it and bring in Santa Claus whose belly jiggles like a bowl full of jelly and and they've got Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer and the like and they've tried to push the Christ right out of Christmas. I don't like what they do at Thanksgiving either. It, It hasn't been a Thanksgiving, a time set aside to give glory to God for that which he brought us out of and that which he's about to take us into. No, 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 no. It's not a holy day anymore. It's a holiday and it it's characterized by eating way too much and and since slumber always accompanies overeating then we find ourselves way to the couch and a remote control and a good football game and that's what thanksgiving has become and the one i just take exception with the most is the one they call easter I don't think Easter ought to be mentioned among us. I, I, don't, I don't find Easter anywhere in my Bible. What, what I do find is a resurrection day. What I do find is a day where death was swallowed up in life and where defeat was swallowed up in victory and where an end got kicked out of a grave and where life came where death had only been. I, I do find some talk about a resurrection day. I certainly don't. I, I find Mary Magdalene and the other Mary coming to the sepulcher, but I don't, I don't see them running into any Easter bunnies along the way. They didn't didn't have to scoot any Easter bunnies out the way to get to the tomb. You don't understand what I'm talking about. There wasn't any green, there wasn't any purple grass. Do you you see the perversion? I mean, what in the world? We don't have purple grass. And bunnies don't lay eggs. And if they do lay eggs, they sure not purple striped with pink dots. It's a perversion. Away with your Easter. Away with your bunny rabbits. Away with your plastic purple grass and your multicolored eggs. Away. 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 But up, up, up with the resurrection day when Jesus Christ arose. Now, you're not with me. Here's the thing. They will not argue with you concerning his birth. They will not argue with you that Jesus of Nazareth was born in Bethlehem stable. That, my friend, is an historical fact. They will not argue with you that he grew up in Nazareth, the son of a carpenter. That, my friend, is a historical fact. They will not argue with you that at 30 years of age he began an itinerant ministry. They won't even argue with you that miracles were done wherever he went. Supernatural phenomenon followed him every step of the way. They will not argue with you that at 12 years of age he confounded the scribes and the Pharisees. They will not argue with you that he 
was there under the full light of a Passover moon. They will not argue that he found himself in Gethsemane. They will not argue with you that Judas went to the leaders of Judaism and sold him for 30 pieces of silver. They will not argue with you that he was arrested that night, that he was held overnight in the pit, which pit is still in Jerusalem today. They will not argue with you that he was sent first, Pilate. Pilate asked him, from whence art thou? He was not asking him, from what part of the Milky Way galaxy did you step off and enter this spinning marble planet? He knew that he was a Galilean. Therefore, he could release responsibility and send him to Herod. Herod thought a good beating would elicit the truth out of him, and he beat him and sent him back to Pilate. Pilate strapped him to the flagging post, trying to satisfy the cries of the people. Pilate took out that cat of nine tails with its bits of glass and bone and bark embedded in the leather tongs and began to wrap it around his back. It gripped and tore his flesh till his back hang round his legs like ribbons. 614 Roman centurions pummeled him in the face and Mel Gibson did a beautiful job and America cried out, it's too graphic, it's too violent. May I remind you that it doesn't even approach what actually happened to him. They showed two or three men at the flagging post. There were 614 soldiers trained in the art of beating a man within an inch of his life. He's bleeding now out of every portal, out of his nose, and his eyes are swollen shut. His head swollen to the size of a bucket. Your Bible says that, they, that he was unrecognizable by them who had known him his entire life. It was not as we have seen with one eye swollen and the other open. They will not argue with you that he was brought out in front of that rabble and crowd that Pilate offered Barabbas. I'll give you Barabbas or Jesus. And they cried, we want Barabbas. And to Jesus they responded, crucify him. Crucify him. And so the ringing of the hammer could be heard. Nails parted sinew and flesh. Nerves jerked and quivered in horrible spasm. His knees bent just enough to give him no support. Up again and down again. Up again and down again. They will not argue with that as he hung there, he leaned forward and 
his flesh tore against the back of that cross as he looked at one of the thieves crucified beside him and said a very interesting thing. This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. Wait just a moment. No one has ever gone. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, tried to gain entry and he couldn't get there. Abraham was called the friend of God and he couldn't get there. It sounds like our Canaan king has a plan. They will not argue with you. That he cried, I thirst. And upon a sponge, a Roman centurion handed him bitter herbs and gall. They will not argue with you that it was taking him too long to die. They will not even argue with you that the thieves had both of their legs broken to speed up the process of death by suffocation. They won't even argue with you that Jesus' legs were not broken. Therefore, the commandment being fulfilled, not one of his bones shall be broken. They will not argue with you that rather than breaking his legs, a Roman centurion withdrew his sword and thrust it deep within his side and pulled it out and your Bible said forthwith came blood and water. Some to the hinder part and some to the forward part. They will not argue with you. That they lifted that cross up out of the hole in the earth and it fell over with a thud with the body of the Prince of God. They will not argue with you that Mary Magdalene, out of whom he cast seven devils, took a hairbrush and tried to brush his blood-soaked matted hair. They will not argue with you that they wrapped him in grave clothes and anointed him with spices. They will not argue with you that there was a man in Jerusalem by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. And he owned a tomb as there was no tomb provided. And that that tomb was too short but that they went in and hollowed out a place for the feet to be placed they will not argue with you that they buried him in a place just over beside Golgotha the place of the skull they, they, no, one, no one will take exception with you if you want to talk about the sacrificial death of Jesus no one, no one will argue with you that he lived and that he died for that is not the apex of our faith in God if that's all we have, then all we have is a murdered specimen. God is forever a liar. There'll never be any holiness. And sin will rule the crazed hearts of humanity forever. If that's all we have, then we might just as well line Jesus up on this platform today and let him stand shoulder to shoulder with Krishna and with Buddha and with Mohammed. A sorry spectacle over which the angels of heaven might bow their heads in horror and weep. For it is the resurrection to which they take exception. 
that on the third day the stone got rolled away and an angel said, Mary, go and tell the Son of God is risen. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive and well. It is the resurrection that is the apex, the crescendo, the crown jewel of our faith and hope in God. For without the resurrection, if Christ be not raised, then is our preaching in vain. May I share with you today, if Christ be not risen, please take these instruments and take them over to the best nightclub in Columbus, Ohio, and play them all night long. Get the finest liquor you can find and as many relationships as you want. Proverbially, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If he is not risen from the dead, then there is no hope, there is no help, there is no happiness. There is no help if Christ be not risen from the dead, then let us turn this massive building into a shopping mall. If Christ be not risen, let us throw our Bibles in a pile, light them on fire, and have a celebration. If Christ be not risen, then banish me from this pool, but take this microphone out of my hand if Christ be not risen. If Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain. There is no longer the opportunity to believe that you can press the flushed cheek of an infant child against yours and feel the vibration of life. If Christ be not risen, then sin must rule the crazed hearts of humanity forever. If Christ be not risen, then let us give way to whatever it is that drives us and compels us. If Christ be not risen, let us run to the hills and hide ourselves in caves and pray that they fall upon us. If Christ be not risen, then there is no healing for your body. If Christ be not risen, then you are as sure for an eternity separated from the life-giving force of God as if you were already in this building. If Christ be not risen from the dead, then is our preaching in vain. I cannot preach to you about staying away from adultery. I cannot preach to you, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. I cannot preach to you, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is good. I cannot preach to you, wives, obey your husbands and submit yourself to them as unto the Lord. I, I can't tell you, husbands, to love your wives as Christ loved the church. If Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain. But don't stop there. If Christ be not risen, then is our faith vain. Hebrews 11 says, now faith is the substance of hope, things hoped for. If we have no faith, then hope is buried forever. But now is Christ risen. 
I feel hope dawning. I feel a light appearing at the end of the darkness. I feel hope coming alive again and faith rising in the hearts of the people again. Shout now! Is Christ risen? It is the unanswerable demonstration of the profoundest fact concerning God. He is not here. He is risen as he said. Ah, after his passion, he showed himself alive. Christianity is the only religion with a virgin womb at one end and an empty tomb at the other. Can somebody shout up in here? I, I, got, I got to testify just a minute. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living. Whatever men may say, I hear his voice of mercy. I sing his song of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always here. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives way down where you can't see, way down where devils fear to tread. He lives in my heart today there's power yes there's power there's wonder working power John 11 says it this way Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, just about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to comfort Mary and Martha concerning their brother Lazarus, who had died. And Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, ran out to meet him, but Mary sat still in the house. And Martha saith unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, our brother would not have died. Nevertheless, even now, whatsoever you ask the Father, he will give it to you. And Jesus said, thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said, oh, I know that, Lord, at the resurrection in the last day. And Jesus answering saith unto her, I am the resurrection, and I am the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this?
Matthew chapter 28 declares, At the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary for to see the sepulchre. And there was a great earthquake. And the angel of the Lord descended from heaven. His countenance was like lightning. His raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and fell as dead men. And the angel saith unto the women, Fear not ye, I know whom thou seekest. Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. Just do a Baptist boy a favor and touch your neighbor and say he ain't here. He is not here. He is not there. He is not there. After his passion, he showed himself alive. He is risen as he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. I got to hurry because that's not the only resurrection. Resurrections wherever Jesus is. It happened first in the streets of Nain as the widow of Nain's son was raised from the dead. And then in Jairus' bedroom as the ruler of the synagogue's daughter was raised from the dead. And then thirdly, in the burial place of Bethany as Lazarus was raised again from the dead. After his passion, he showed himself alive. Can you shout hallelujah? Ah, let me fast forward just a little bit for you because I don't want you to think that's the last resurrection. Your Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, words along these lines, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Talk about dead folk now. I said, would not have you to be ignorant. The word ignorant doesn't mean stupid. It means misinformed. God said, I don't, I'm on a misinformation translation. You're not here with me. I would not have you ignorant brethren concerning them which are dead asleep. For we shall not all sleep that you sorrow not even as those who have no hope. If Christ be not risen then hope is buried forever. But now is Christ risen from the dead that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if Christ died, yea, rather is risen from the dead, then them also which sleep in Jesus shall God bring with him. Here's what your Bible says. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. You didn't hear what I said. Shall be caught up. One translation says snatched away. Just reach in and grab them. There is a great getting up morning. Shall be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we forever be with the Lord therefore comfort one another 
with these words. It won't matter where you are. The marketplace is empty. No more traffic fills the streets. All the builders' tools are silenced. There's no time to harvest wheat. Busy housewives cease their labors. In the courtrooms, no debate. Life on earth is all suspended as the king comes through the gate. There's coming a time when airliners are going to veer off course. There's coming a time when no one will sit at the controls of automobiles by the tens of thousands driving up and down the highway systems. There's coming a time when you're going to be sliding your bank account notebook across to the teller and suddenly she's not there anymore. There are going to be church services. Your Bible said, oh God, I'm going to be in one. Bible said to Two will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken. One will be left. Two will be asleep in the bed. One will be taken. One will be left. There's coming a time when God is going to snatch us out of this planet. Somebody say yes. I'm not done. I know I'm not done. Then God will begin seven years of his determined, determined dealing with the nation of Israel. Your Bible calls it seven years of tribulation. Woes upon the earth, the likes of which the world has never seen. Rivers that turn instantly into blood. If you think this world's in bad shape now, you ought to see it when we leave. Bible says, when he that restraineth is taken out of the way. The last day of that seven years of tribulation becomes the first day of the millennial reign of Christ. When Zechariah 14 and Revelation chapter 11 talks about two witnesses laying dead in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. Prophets of God preaching. Power is given unto them over the Antichrist. But then in the last hours, God withdraws that power and the Antichrist takes their life. They lay dead in the streets of Jerusalem for three and one half days. And they are not even allowed to be buried because every television camera, CNN and, 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 and MSNBC and NBC and ABC and, and Fox News, they'll all be focusing their cameras on those two bodies laying dead in the streets, the satellites will carry that image all around the world. Your Bible says that FedEx and the United States Postal Service, they all get in on it because your Bible says in Revelation chapter 11 that they begin to send gifts to each other, celebrating that these two prophets of God lay dead in the streets. But on the third and a half day, your Bible says it's not a day that's dark or a day that's bright. It starts off a milky gray. But by this time, your Bible says with every camera focus on them, suddenly God blows his breath over the sapphire sill of heaven's gate, and those two witnesses, probably Enoch and Elijah, they are the only two that got out of here without dying. Enoch was and was not, for God took him, and Elijah was translated in a whirlwind chariot of fire. Their eyes come open with every television camera throughout the world watching them, and suddenly they raise up on their feet, but they don't stop there. They just continue to rise up, and the television 
television cameras begin to pan upward and your Bible says that that's when God's going to get those chariots that haven't ridden the wind since Elijah out of their stalls. Your Bible says that's when Christ is going to slide his long lean Galilean leg over a steaming white stallion and the crack of his long whip is going to billow out like the crash of a thousand cannons. That's when he's going to have to turn around and look at me and say, Parsley, get on your own horse because your Bible says then the Lord himself shall return and all his saints with him. Just slap somebody a high five and say, we're coming back. Come on, slap him a high five and tell him we want to come back. He showed himself alive after his passion. And he declares, because I live, you shall live also. Not for a moment, not for a day, not for a week, not for 70 years or 80 or 90, but eternally alive, leaping like a heart over the everlasting hills of God's glory to suffer no more, to sigh no more, to cry no more, shout to die no more. He's coming back. Bible says he's going to touch down on the Mount of Olives. And when his foot touches the Mount of Olives, it's going to split in two. Right now, there's something in Israel called the Dead Sea. You can go lay down. You can sit in it like you're sitting on a chair. It's so full of salt. Nothing can live there. Nothing, absolutely nothing can live Nothing can live there. But when he comes with resurrection power, the Bible, the geologists in Israel tell us the largest body of fresh water lies underneath the Mount of Olives, but so deep they can't get into it, and so dangerous they dare not drill into it, for it lays on a fault line. I said to a geologist, what do you mean? He said the slightest tremor of an earthquake would split this mountain in two down the middle and water would come rushing out of there and destroy everything in its path. I said, where would it go? Let me guess. It would go down through the Kidron Valley and it would splash into the sides of the Dead Sea with such force that it would blow the end that's been sealed up out of it. And the Bible would be fulfilled that declares the bitter waters have been made sweet. He said, sir, I don't know where you got that information, he being a Jewish man. He said, I don't know where you got that information, but what you've just said is exactly what would happen if an earthquake would happen anywhere near the Mount of Olives. I said, let me share something with you. You got enough PhDs after your name to be alphabet soup, but you obviously have not read the New Testament because my Bible said when he touches down on the Mount of Olives, it's going to split in two and the bitter waters shall be made sweet. You're not even in here with me on resurrection morning. He's going to turn his face toward the valley of Megiddo, toward the valley of Armageddon, where 100 million men will have been marching for 30 days with no water. They have been drinking blood for 30 days demonized they will pour a hundred million of them down into the valley of Jezreel into Megiddo and there he will turn his face and without speaking a word your Bible says behold I saw a white horse Revelation chapter 19 
and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. I'm feeling the Holy Ghost now. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed in a vesture that had been dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in white linen, fine and clean. And out of his mouth went a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he did rule them with a rod of iron, and he did tread out the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And upon his vesture and upon his thigh was a name inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You're not in this building with me. Because I'm not just quite done yet. Your Bible also says in the book of Revelation. Behold I saw an angel come down from heaven. Having in his hand the key to the bottomless pit. God and a great chain in his hand the only one reason to bring a chain from heaven that's to bind something up and your Bible said he laid hold on the devil on that old serpent which is the dragon and Satan and he bound him for 1,000 years and he cast him into the lake of fire I'm talking about the devil that's tormented you I'm talking about the devil that's lied to you I'm talking about the devil that's made you sick I'm talking about the devil that's stolen you blind here's shouting news your Bible said he cast him into the lake of fire get ready to shout and shut him up I said he shut him up. I dare you to say he shut him up. After his passion, he showed himself alive. Just. Coming a time when they're all getting up. Daniel, from the red ruins of Shushan, Abram and Sarah, from underneath the limestone arches of Machpelah's cave, Paul from his pallet on the Nile, my little grandmother Mimi, from off a hillside in eastern Kentucky, my best friend Freddie, laying just a few miles from where I'm preaching this morning. There's coming a time they're all getting up. Here it is. And I saw verse 11, chapter 20, Revelation, and I saw a great white throne. And he that sat upon it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, 
and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. The book of record, the book of life, and the Bible. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast forever into the lake of fire. May I share with you that God will forgive you, but time will not. There's coming a day when hell will be a reality. I heard one of the most heart-wrenching interviews I've ever heard the other night on television. As men of God were saying, we need not ever preach on the subject of hell. That it's not user-friendly nor politically correct to make men feel the need of God. Better to bring them in and talk to them about their relationships with their wife and how to be a good citizen. Let me warn you. There is a place called hell. It is a place of the incarceration for eternity of the doomed souls of humans. Hell is a place where your heart will burst a thousand times a minute were it not that your Bible said God will give you a new body fitted for destruction. Hell is a place where your nerves become strings upon which Satan will play the diabolical tune of hell's unalterable lament. And where your veins become highways for the hot feet of pain, not for a moment, but forever. If Christ be not risen, then hope is buried forever. But now is Christ risen from the dead and after his passion showed himself alive with every head bowed and every eye closed across this vast auditorium and no one no one no one looking around how many of you would say this morning pastor rod 
I am aware of my lost condition and separation from God. Pastor Rod, I'm not sure that if Jesus should come in the next five minutes that I'd spend eternity hearing God say, well done, enter in my good and faithful servant. Pastor Rod, I'm not sure. I'm not sure of my eternal destination. Please pray for me. I, I don't want to go to hell. No one wants to go to hell. Everyone wants to go to heaven. The question is, you have to make the decision. No one can make up your mind for you. The Bible says, I set before you this day life and death, blessing and cursing. You choose whom you'll serve. And so I ask you today, what will you do? Not with the Jesus of the passion, but with the resurrected Christ. What will you do with Jesus? He loves you this morning. You haven't done anything that would ever cause him to stop loving you. The only sin God cannot forgive is that which you will not confess. Because your Bible says if we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Right now, all over this vast auditorium, how many would say, Pastor Rod, I don't want to live another day without the assurance of going to heaven. I don't want to live another day and think the thought that I might spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Pastor Rod... I want to be like Job. Your Bible said that Job declared, When I consider the Lord, I fear him. The fear of the Lord, your Bible says, the beginning of wisdom. God's not mad at you. He loves you. He sends no one to hell. You make the decision now whether you'll go to heaven or whether you'll go to hell by simply accepting the price that Jesus paid as the full remission of your sins. Do it now. Make the decision you'll be glad you made when you stand before God in eternity. I'm not asking you to join a church, not asking you to join a movement. I'm simply asking you to accept the price that Jesus paid as the penalty for your sins and to receive eternal life and the hope of going to heaven for eternity. It's the free gift of God. The free gift of God. Open your heart now to receive Him. When I say three, raise your hand. With no one looking around, we are going to pray. At the end of that prayer, you'll be as sure for heaven as if you were already there. Eternity waits for no one. I can't wait for you. On three, raise that hand and say, Pastor Rod, pray for me today. I want to pillow my head tonight with the full assurance. I'm as sure for heaven as if I was already there. On three, raise that hand. Do it right now. One, two, three. Raise it up and leave it up. Every person with your hand raised. Every person with your hand raised. When I say three, stand to your feet. Do it now. One, two, three. Stand to your feet, every one of you, while we thank God for the decision you're making. Dozens and dozens and dozens all over the building. All over the building. I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. This is a very serious moment. This is the moment that you decide. I'm accepting Jesus Christ. Not a man, not a religion, not a church. I'm accepting Jesus Christ. And the price that he paid on that old rugged cross as the full payment for my sins. And by faith in him, I receive eternal life. 
You're making the greatest decision you have made in eternity, not just time. You say, but you don't know what I've done, Pastor. I know this. There is nothing that can escape his blood. And his blood cries out, mercy, mercy, mercy. I would like for you to pray this prayer. I would like for you to pray it out loud so that you can hear it with your own ears. I'd like everyone here to pray this prayer with these that are standing reverently before the throne of God and saying this day, I accept Jesus Christ. Pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you this day, born a sinner, I have committed sins. My sin has separated me from you, the source of all life. I come today to repent, to turn away from my sins, and to turn toward you for forgiveness. I accept you today as my personal Savior. I will live for you as you show me how self come off the throne of my heart I'll no longer serve you I have been bought back from death by the blood of Jesus my Savior whom I accept believe and confess as my personal Savior this day and forever now I pray for you that you receive the life of a child of God that you receive the full pardon and remission of your sins and that the life of God is given birth to on the inside of you that you come alive as you have never been alive before as you are touched by resurrection power may this day be the first day of the rest of your life eternally in God in Jesus name amen 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 hey thanks for listening to today's episode if you enjoyed it I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast hope you'll do it today head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.